This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. As, as we say right here on the bumper, um, following Christ is not an easy thing. Right? It's a little bit daunting sometimes to follow Christ outside the walls, outside of the, the safety that we have built up, the things that are familiar and sturdy and strong, to go out uh, and, um, and be a little bit more vulnerable, uh, maybe even to feel like we're somewhat on shaky ground. I was talking to my kids the other day, and um, they were revealing to me their deepest, darkest fears. Now, they're, they're little. Um, but one of my children was telling me how, you know, they don't want to cross a wooden bridge. And I thought about it for a second, and it makes a whole lot of sense. Because in their, uh, in, in their reality, in, in everything that they have taken in about what a wooden bridge is, um, has been from cartoons. And everyone knows that wooden bridges on cartoons are not sturdy, right? You got these rope bridges with pieces sticking out of it and you, you think it's safe and like every single kids show you walk across halfway across the bridge and uh, and one of the one of the boards breaks out from underneath you i mean this is like everybody knows dad can't you figure this out wooden bridges are scary and and i feel like sometimes you and i have some similar some similar fears as we look at how to live out our Christian faith, because everything that we have read and taken in has told us that there are certain planks that are just not sturdy, and you don't want to put any weight on them. You don't want to explore them at all. You don't want to see if they're going to hold you because they're not going to hold you. I saw it on the cartoons. Um, and that's a little bit of a funny story, but it I think it's important for us to um, ask ourselves the question, where am I getting my information? And, uh, and is that information reliable? Now, this last week, we had something happen, I think it was on Wednesday, that, that blew up the internet. It blew up the, the airwaves and news, and it was everywhere. And if you missed this, God has graced you so much. Uh, you were spared. Uh, but there was this huge, just uproar, about some remarks that were made by Pope Francis in a documentary. Uh, now, this if you know anything about documentaries, I've watched my fair bit of documentaries. They are uh, pieced together from a number of different interviews, from hours of interviews. They pick and select certain specific lines, and then they put them together in the way that they want to get across the message that they are trying to tell you. Uh, documentaries are persuasive speeches. That's really the whole purpose of it. It's less to document what actually happened, although sometimes that comes across, and more to document what the interpretation of the director thinks happened or wants you to think happened. So here we have Pope Francis making some remarks uh, about um, homosexuality and, and about what was presented as being about homosexual unions. That came across the airwaves, and the whole of Catholic Internet was in a tizzy. Uh, everyone was rushing to either accuse or defend Pope Francis immediately. Uh, bishops were releasing statements. And listen, I've worked in a chancery. I know that uh, when you are a bishop, you are over the care of souls, and you have to think what's best for them. And so very often, you have to respond 
in a timely manner for the sake of your flock. So I'm, I'm not begrudging any bishop. Um, but I am going to have a conversation with the flock just for a second. You and me. Uh, let's talk about how important it is for us to be still, right? I've got on my mirror in my front room that, that poem from the, the front bravery of Teresa of Avila. Let nothing disturb you. Let nothing affright you. All things are passing. God is unchanging. Patience obtains all things. Who has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. Now, everything in our world here tells us that we have to have an opinion and we've got to have uh, a strong opinion and we've got to have a persuasive opinion and we have to have it right now. We have to have a response to every single thing and we've been trained to do this by the 24-hour news cycle. Well, I tell you, uh, I have begun probably over the last three or four, maybe five years to train myself to do something different. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait for at least three days. I'm not going to respond to the the instant uh, and the demand for an instant response because, one, I don't owe a response to anyone, and neither do you. We don't owe our opinion to anyone. And what I do owe is I owe charity to my fellow man. I owe a specific amount of charity and docility to the Holy Father. And I know that with more information, with more time and more information and context, all of this is going to make sense. And such was the case here as well, as the two quotes, uh, or the quote that was presented was actually two different quotes from two different places with drastically different contexts than were being um, presented. If, uh, if you want to know more about this specifically, I want to encourage you to go over to my social media and we can have a conversation there because I've posted a number of things there that help give some added context uh, and and really kind of unpack what the Pope was saying. And what the Pope was saying, and what he always is saying, is that on our pathway, as we are disciples, the path of mercy is always a stable bridge. And it's your job and it's my job to build that stable bridge, to introduce others, to provide a pathway for others, to come into contact with the love of God, to come into contact with the person of Jesus Christ. So in that relationship, they can be enthralled and be drawn in to the divine mercy of Christ. This is what is being done. Uh, And we do this in a number of ways. We do this by uh, upholding and protecting and defending the dignity of the human person from conception to natural death, and that includes everything in between. Uh, we do that by recognizing Christ's image and the other person, even when they are furthest away from him, even when they are the least of these, imprisoned and naked and poor and hungry and thirsty, and we clothe them and we feed them and we recognize Christ in them. And this, this is what draws people to Christ. Uh, there's a, a passage in Scripture, and I don't have it right in front of me. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance. The kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance. It isn't all of our fiery sermons. It isn't all of our uh, really well laid out rational doctrine. 
It is the kindness of the Lord. And he may reveal himself through those things. Please understand, I am not in any way saying we shouldn't have rational arguments and that we shouldn't hold to objective truth. I'm saying that sometimes we get so caught up in the objective nature of truth that we miss the subject, the person right in front of us. And that subject is the object of Christ's love, right? As the object of his affection is the subject that's standing right in front of us. And so, um, first thing I want to say is the words that Pope Francis said to us uh, through this uh, through this interview later passed on to a, uh, a documentary. These words are true. Now, they were obfuscated. They were cut up just so uh, to get across a certain message. And that message was deceptive. But the words that the Pope was saying to that interviewer were true. That we owe to one another uh, love and respect and honor. We owe to that other person to recognize in them the dignity of of the human person, that, that God has placed his image within them. We owe that to them. What we don't owe anyone is our immediate reaction or our immediate opinion. So I want to encourage you to go over to social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handle is at outside the walls. Look through those articles I've posted, comment on them. Let's begin a dialogue and a discussion um, because the world is watching. The world is looking at the things that we say. All of your friends on Facebook who may not have shared with you the struggles that they have, they're watching and they're looking to see if you're safe. Do you reflect the image and the likeness of God that draws all people to himself? And this, this is our main, primary, huge task as missionary disciples, to love God and to love neighbor. Now, loving neighbor does not mean in any way compromising on truth, but it means loving without res- reserve, without reservation. So um, today we're going to talk about not what the Pope said, but because this interview occurred before the Pope said it. I've had this interview on the books for weeks, and I had been attempting to get it on the book for a few weeks before that occurred. So we, we've we had this on really for well over a month uh, in the works to have this conversation. And uh, we had this conversation actually earlier, in, uh, I think last week even, before any of this occurred. And I take this as as an example of divine providence where where God knew what we were going to be dealing with. He knew the, the, um, the anxiety that would, would have been stirred up this last week. And he said, I've got just the thing for you. Let's take this jumping off point and let's follow what the Pope was actually saying. Let's talk about the dignity of the human person. And specifically, in a very particular way, let's talk about the dignity of the human person for those persons who experience same-sex desires. What does it look like for a person who experiences same-sex desires to want to follow Christ, to want to avoid sin, uh, but still wrestle with these, uh, these attractions, these desires, these affinities? What does it look like? And what can we as a church uh, expect of them? And what do we as a church owe to them? We're talking today with... Anna Carter and Shannon Ochoa about this 
this thing that they have birthed, this uh, lovely, it's not even really a program, it is a, uh, an expression of the communion of saints, a, a connection of Catholics to one another, uh, and it's called Eden Invitation. Now, I've, I'd heard it, uh, heard about it, I've seen the website for a, a long time, and it just had never gotten to a place where I gave it a whole lot of attention. And then our friends over at Our Sunday Visitor uh, had this beautiful thing called the OSV Innovation Challenge, and I saw all the, the participants that were part of it, and lo and behold, one of the three winners of that was Eden Invitation. And so I spent a little bit more time looking into it, seeing the good work that they've done, and I'm glad to have both you, uh, Anna and Shannon, on the show today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Good to be here. (laughs) So let's talk a little bit about um, about what Eden Invitation is and where where it came from out of your own lives. First of all, uh, it came from your relationship uh, and friendship with one another. Um, But before that, let's just get into kind of the meat of generally when we create something, we create it out of an absence of it, not having it, not seeing it and desiring it. So kind of lay this out. What is Eden Invitation and where did it come from? So what you were sharing earlier, Eden Invitation, you know, I think first and foremost really is um, it's community and formation around uh, Christian anthropology, around desire, right? Like, who are we, where are we going? Specifically for people that are wrestling with same-sex desires, wrestling with their biological sex. Um, and it that kind of like cry for community and formation, like you're saying, does come out of our own experience. Um, I know for me personally, I uh, experienced same-sex desires starting in high school And it wasn't really something that there was particular pastoral care about, especially for a young person, even more particularly for a young woman. Um, Because obviously being a woman, I I didn't really find a lot of places where I didn't see people like myself Mm -hmm. who dealt with this. Um, You know, I was very involved in my faith. Uh, I was a theology major. I went to all sorts of conferences, but very rarely, if this was ever shown from a stage, if this was ever spoken about or a book was written and it very rarely was it someone with the experience and even more rarely was it a young person. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's just kind of in that absence of example in some ways or that particular, more particular example, um, it was easy to feel alone. Yeah. Yeah. And I think kind of just building off of that quickly. So I grew up in the faith, um, fell in love with Jesus at a pretty young age and um, experienced like a reconversion in college. But at the time, again, with the way that sexuality was talked about was primarily politicized. And so I went to a really public university and had questions about my own experience. And it wasn't really being talked about pastorally um, in faith settings. And so I think for me, like, like many people of the young adult, millennial, and now Gen Z generation were trying to look for answers of where it was talked about. So I took on a gender and women's studies degree. And so I think for me, part of where um, some of Eden Invitation being born is is like recognizing that like this is a cry. I think of a lot of people's hearts um, is to like be seen and known, um, but striving to live in the context of the church. And so like, how do we bring that within the context of a generation that has been raised in a setting where this is really publicly talked about. Mm-hmm. There's countless testimonials, you know, there's all, there's a very appealing community, you know? Right. And so how can we 
um, be able to offer that uh, faithful to the church and in the context of the church. Well, and let's go back to that community idea. There, you said there's a really appealing community in the secular world that provides camaraderie. It provides identity. It provides a clear pathway of what to do with your life. And these are questions and, and desires that are built into us as humans. Who am I? Who do I belong to? And how do I live my life? Uh, and as you are well aware, Pope John Paul II did beautiful work in this in the personalist philosophy view that we see borne out in theology of the body. I say that you already know this because your work just oozes uh, the the language and the essence of, of that work from St. Pope John Paul II. Um in this, I think that this is where we in the church might have fallen a little bit, um, a little bit short. In that, we have a really hard time addressing this issue. We we want to be faithful to the church, um, and we don't know how to uh, how to speak in ways that might make it seem um, less than black and white. Let's just put it that way, because we don't want to be seen as, as compromising on, on the magisterium and on the fullness of faith. I think this is something that you and Eden Invitation do really well, starting with that personalist view and then ending with the big yes instead of the big no. Here is the greater yes that we're aspiring to of belonging and identity and, uh, and a way forward. And so mm-hmm. um, obviously OSV saw the same thing as they looked at your work. Uh, is EdenInvitation.com. Um, how, how are you now coming into this, having received that, that recognition and the, the, uh, the monetary prize that goes along with it? How is that going to increase and enable the work that you've done moving forward? Mm-hmm. We're really excited, obviously, <laughs> for us. <laughs> you know, I think as a young uh, organization, so much is just shoestring. And then to be able to be like, okay, oh gosh, we can do a good job. This is going to be really great. Um, so we're really excited. It's it's a dual initiative. So Hearth and Porch is uh, what we're calling it. And um, which hopefully those two concepts are evocative enough that it's like, ooh, there's something... There there are different approaches here. So Hearth uh, is really a lot of what we do uh, programming wise and for our community is currently online. Actually, it started online. I mean, we were ready for the pandemic. Let me tell you what. (laughs) (laughs) And so for us, it's actually taking the community offline and bringing it in person. Uh, That's our transition um, in an interesting time. But uh, that is they're small, small groups Um, really trying to create um, kind of, you know, small um, communal expressions on the local level. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the hearth group. That's that part of it. But then also what we've been talking about with like, with, with, with witness and just the availability of story, really identifying some members of our community who are feel called and it's a good fit to be able to share their stories. And then we'll film those testimonials, those witness videos, and release them during June, which in the secular world uh, is Pride Month. So you've called these two initiatives Hearth and Porch, one because you're bringing people in person into the home, sitting around the fire. Um, Porch has a very different picture to me, right? I'm going to sit on my front porch with my tea, and as soon as I see you, I'm like, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. It may be a little bit lighter, a little bit less involved. What, this is the picture that comes to my mind. What What about you? What's the picture that came to your mind? Yeah, I think for us, we see it as an opportunity for invitation, right? Eat an invitation. Um, uh-huh. I see so what you I, did there. 
right? There you go. Uh, but because of it being the porch initiative, it's really an opportunity for people to just like kind of be exposed to stories like theirs or be exposed to um, just other narratives that aren't necessarily out in some of that public setting. Um, and so, again, it's kind of an invitation uh, to just get to know God's children a little bit more, like our own mission, um, both for people who have the experience and people who maybe it's the story of someone they love. Um, and so, again, it's just that initial um, opportunity for invitation and to be engaged um, per your like own autonomy, I guess, you know, to like choose to engage with that video yourself. Um, but it's an entry point to be able to be connected to those hearth groups. <laughs> now let's talk a little bit more about the hearth groups, because to me, this is, is so essential. Um, it, it's essential because of that, that longing to know who you are, to know who you belong to, and then to have a way forward. So that to know who you belong to is is so big. We're going to get to questions of identity later because uh, I personally think that there's um, an overemphasis on the the question of what is my sexual identity, and this goes across all uh, all preferences, orientations, desires, inclinations. Uh, we're all focused too much on on that aspect and less on who we belong to. Um, and in what ways we belong to them. Uh, this is this gets into a whole other thing. Uh, the, back when I did marriage prep, this is um, I'm going off script, ladies. Um, back when I did marriage prep, one of the things that I talked about was we have um, we've reduced love to affection. We've reduced affection to romance, and we've reduced romance to sex. Uh, and so we've lost all of those stages in between. We've lost the ability to talk about affection and to talk about friendship without it being viewed in a sexual aspect. And I, and I can imagine as difficult and frustrating as that is for me, it's all the more so um, with, with you. And so maybe talk a little bit about the the way that these hearth groups provide community and the importance of that community viewed in an appropriate um, anthropological friendship kind of a way? I think what we've seen um, from just previous, you know, previous events or what we've done digitally that we're hoping carries over into the local, um, is like you're saying, there really is this cry for, uh, this cry for friendship, this cry as well for um, belonging for more of the long haul, right? I think a lot of people who are wrestling with sexuality, wrestling with their biological sex, don't always fit into the nice, neat vocational boxes that the church often sets up, right? Or people in the church set up. Yeah. <laughs> Whether any of us fit into those neatly is maybe another podcast, but um, <laughs> at least within this experience, there's, there's, it, it just it's a little tougher to discern that and sort through that. And especially then as you age, you're watching a lot of your friends file off into their nice, neat boxes, or so it sometimes appears, right? Yeah. We know it's more complicated than that. That's how it can feel. Uh, and so to be able to say like, okay, no, these, these are people that, um, that, are, that are for me, that I can process with. Uh, also that I can celebrate life with, right? I mean, we intentionally use a word like community rather than a program or or a ministry even, right? Because that that kind of has this sense of like, I'm like systematically learning 
something and then I graduate right. and maybe move on. <laughs> um, whereas this, we really want to encourage a more uh, integrated life. Like these are people that, yes, you know, we get together, we have some local group, groups already meeting more informally. We get together, we have a bonfire and yeah, and we're talking, yeah, sure about church. We're updating each other on our families. And then after like two hours of hanging out, someone's like, oh, oh I just read this book about sexuality. What did you guys think about it? Or yeah. I'm really wrestling with this situation, but it's 15 minutes of the three hours you were together, right? Being able to um, have more holistic community with one another. Um, that's really what we're going for. Mm -hmm. Well, let me, let me maybe put it in a context and tell me if I'm, I'm seeing this right. It's the ability to be in a conversation and in a relationship where you know you can bring up any topic and and not have it blow up in your face. And, and that just makes the whole encounter of that evening together go so much more mm -hmm. easily, even though that's not the main focus of the evening. Would that? Mm -hmm. I had a conversation. Yeah, I, no, absolutely. I had a conversation with a friend of mine and I was trying to explain the feeling of being on an Eden invitation retreat. Mm. And I said, imagine if the most like shameful part of your part, the most shameful part of your experience was a known entity and was actually shared mm -hmm. by everyone there. <laughs> How would you feel in that place? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And his answer is like, I, I would feel so free. Yeah. Because there's, if, if that most shameful thing can be like, oh yeah, I've been there. Um, it's kind of coming out of the confessional. Like we're all, we all stand in line. We all see the other people and we all we're walking in just thinking, oh my gosh, I did this again. Uh, I, whatever that this is for you. And if you knew that every person in that line was going to receive that same grace for that same thing, it'd be like, okay, I can do this. I can make it through. We're, we, we've got this. And what I love about what you're doing, uh, and that we'll get into a little bit more after this next break, I love that the focus is not on the issue, right? The issue is a commonality uh, that that really is removing an obstacle to community. Uh, I, I, I'm going to remove every obstacle you have for saying, well, I don't want to go and get with that group of people because if they only knew... And that mm -hmm. once that obstacle is removed, now you're like, okay, now come into real friendship, come into real life, come into a real sense of who you are um, without any fear of, of retribution or judgment or anything else. And starting with you belong here and then ending, mm -hmm. ending on down the road, wherever that ends. Uh, we know that the end of that is, is community. It's communion of saints. It's being a part and a member of the body of Christ. Uh, and so when we come back, we're going to talk about what we as a church can do to help foster that community, both through supporting the work of Eden Invitation and just by being better Catholics. Come over and join me on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Let's talk about a couple of things. Talk to me about your impressions so far of Eden Invitation. Talk to me about your impressions of what the Pope said. Let's have a conversation there. And most of all, let's speak together in charity and in love. We'll be right back with much more right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. And today we're talking about, hey, surprise, surprise, the dignity of the human person. This is something that I just love to talk about because it flows out of one of the two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Yes, we need to do that. And we also need to love our neighbor as ourself. And as I've said many times before, love means to will the good of the of the other. It, it's not about affection, although affection can accompany it. It's about seeing the other person as being imbued with dignity because they're made in the image of God and desiring their good and working to bring that good about. And so we look at that in a number of different ways. A couple of weeks ago, we talked with Damon Owens talking about uh, a conversation around race and seeing that through the lens of the dignity of the human person, how can I will the good of these other people who are part of me by virtue of baptism, by virtue of being part of the human family? Uh, we're doing that today in another direction as we're talking with, uh, with the founders of Eden Invitation, Anna Carter and Shannon Ochoa, uh, uh, about how we can identify, recognize, and support the dignity of the human person for those people who experience same-sex desires. We've had this conversation on the show before. You can go back through our archives and listen uh, at OutsideTheWalls.com. We're pushing in a little bit of a different direction today. Anna and Shannon, thank you again for joining us. Yeah, thanks. So here's where I want to get to. And and this is a, a direction that we've not talked about on the show. We have made this, and you, you referenced this a little bit earlier, we've made this such a political topic. This is a, a, a black and white issue, and we've got this litmus test that we put everyone through to make sure that they're still on the up and up. Um that we we have, I think, removed recognizing the dignity of people who experience same-sex desires. We've, we've made it such a, an issue of objective truth, which there is objective truth, and I don't want to deny that, and you certainly don't deny that, uh, but we've made it such a black and white issue that we have failed, I think, in many instances to see the person. We see everything as uh, as a test, as as thinking that people are trying to pull something over on us when really they're looking for who they are, who they belong to and how to live. Uh, and so I wonder how we as the church can, while upholding the, the magisterial teaching of human sexuality, uh, but also recognize the dignity of the person who is going through internally some, some great, trial as they feel ostracized, uh, marginalized, left on, left on the outside, and not feeling as if they belong within the community of the church because there's so many litmus tests so often. How do we take steps to uphold truth and uphold the dignity of the person? Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I kind of wanted to start with uh, is a little bit of an image that we've used. I think sometimes... When it comes to this topic, it can feel like, to your point of the black and white, that there's like two sides of a culture war. And I feel like we often feel like ourselves in invitation, like there's a whole group of people in the middle, right, Mm -hmm. who are maybe considering going either way or whatever that looks like. But we see ourselves as like protecting them from the shrapnel, Um, you know, that's just being fired back and forth. And here's this whole group of people who are trying to know and understand that like they're inherently good. Right. Um, I have questions around that, right? To your point on human dignity. 
Um, and I think one of the first things that we start with, I think for Eden Invitation is this sense that like the human person is holy ground. Um, again, just like in first receiving someone, right? Like when people first reach out to us, they can totally disagree with us on church teaching, whatever it is. But like, we always offer a phone call to just, what's your story? (laughs) You know, um, I think oftentimes we get concerned, I think in church settings that like, if I, if I don't speak the truth of the church's teaching immediately, Mm -hmm. like they're going to misinterpret where I stand. When literally, I think, like I said, our approach is is that first question of like, what's your story? (laughs) Like, I just need your context. Um, What's brought you here? What are the aches of your heart? To get them in touch with that too. I think sometimes people don't always necessarily know what the nuances of some of those aches and those longings are. And I think we lose that when we don't allow them to kind of like reveal some of the holy ground that their heart is. And I'm going to borrow um, a metaphor that Shannon, I don't know if you coined it, but you use it a lot. This sense of, I think we should be asking ourselves as we're interacting with these people, um, are my shoes off? Mm -hmm. This is what I mean. (laughs) You know, you think of Exodus and the burning bush is, I think, the most poignant example of this, right? When you're in the presence of something sacred, what do you do, right? You take off your shoes, you know? And, and we see this in, in other different cultures and other parts of scripture, but that to be mindful, like you, you, you use the phrase tale, you said holding to the truth and to dignity. Dignity is truth. You're right. It is. And, and so um, am I standing before this person in the truth of who they are? Mm-hmm. right? Which is made in the image and likeness of God that we know we do not merit. Yeah. That's another truth, right? That our worth as human beings doesn't depend on our sinfulness levels. That's what the cross is about. Another truth, right? Of how Jesus Christ comes for us. Even when we're still in sin, he dies for us, right? That is a truth. And that is the Christ we're called to imitate. And so, when you're interacting with that person, when you're in front of that person, are your shoes off, right? Are you mindful of how radically the father loves his child? And that's the love that we're invited to participate in, right? That's the love we're invited to participate in. And, and yes, that's going to involve perhaps calling somebody out. It might involve some fraternal correction at some point in the line. But another thing, too, I think if we look at Scripture and we look at the example of Christ or just Jesus and himself, like God takes 6,000 years of <laughs> like covenantal history before yep. Jesus even shows up, right? How patient is God <laughs> with, with us and, and with, with our own strugglings and our own strivings? And so... Just to be mindful of that, like, you know, God's not holding Abraham to the same um, standards of behavior, so to speak, at least in scripture that we can see, right? There, there's a difference there. There's a graduality, right, um, to God's pedagogy, right, the way that he teaches us. And so to be mindful of that with other people, right, um, that those that we love who experience this, um, they might they might not even know that God loves them. Yeah. let alone all of these moral mm-hmm. teachings, right? Um, we look at uh, the way that the church tended, the, the, the his, history of the way that the church catechized catechumens, right? People who were first coming into the church. It didn't start with all the heavy-duty moral doctrine right away. It started off with these basic truths that, that you were alluding to earlier of personal identity, 
right? What, who is God? Right. How did he make the world? Um, what does it mean to be a human being, right? Starting with those. And I think the problem is in our culture, those really fundamental things about who we are as human beings is not in culture anymore. It's just not. And so unless you receive an invitational catechesis on that stuff, you don't even have the foundation that all the morality is based on. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be mindful of that as we're interacting with other people as well. Well, that, so a couple of things, and I'm going to try to get to all of them. Uh, one of the things is that you talk about taking your shoes off, right? This is not just a, a reflection of, uh, or, oh, this is kind of like the burning bush. Jesus said in Matthew 25 that whatever you do to the least of these, you have done to me. So we have to in, in, start these conversations with every person we meet saying, how do I, f-? not just, um, well, maybe this person is Jesus, but how do I, how do I find Jesus in this person? Where do I find Jesus in this person? And and then minister to Jesus in them, recognizing that this is, yes, part of the body of Christ, but it's also uh, Christ right in front of us, and we have to respond in that way. And if we respond with contempt or with dismissiveness, we have to recognize that that's going to come back to us. At the judgment, God's going to look at us and say, what you did the least of these, you did to me. Second thing, uh, you're talking about um, the, the graduality and the, the levels of of accountability. Jesus makes this again very clear in Scripture that that the we are accountable for what we know. Uh, Paul says before the law, you didn't know that there was a law, and so it wasn't counted to you as sin. But now there is the law, and now we're accountable for it. What will rescue us? Only Jesus, right? That's Romans six, seven, and eight area. Um, so here we have this this community that belongs to us, who are looking for identity, looking for who they belong to, and looking for how to live. And we like to start with the how to live, right? Let's meet this criteria of how to live, and then you'll belong, and then you'll have identity. And I think we've got it just 180 degrees backwards. Um, and, and what I love that you're doing is this invitation into, without agenda, into relationship. Let's let's have a conversation. Let's sit down together and share life without any agenda other than I want you to experience that kind of connection. And that kind of connection leads to all of these other things. But if we start with a litmus test and we always have the, the, you know, the, like the person at the border looking at the passport, looking back and forth between the picture and the person going, do you really match this? Hmm, I don't know. I got to look again three or four times before I put the stamp on it. Uh, then, Then we're going to be approached and greeted with all the friendliness that we approach the person at the border looking at the passport. And is that who we are as Christians? Is that the identity that we want to have. And I would say that that's not what we're called to. We're called to be Christ and to minister to Christ and the people that we meet. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so as you look at this, um, and, and you obviously have been on the receiving end of this, how can a church, how can a person in the church 
start a process of being invitational instead of holding up the passport. I think some of it starts with self-reflection. <laughs> um, I think oftentimes it's so easy to like look at others and like gauge their own lives. But I think there's a reality that there are a lot more areas of mutual understanding that you can find if this isn't your own experience, or even if this is your own experience and, and you're striving to pursue the church's teaching, there are areas of solidarity there um, and areas of like your own perhaps maybe questions or wrestling and stuff like that, that you can find, it can awaken yourself to recognize where is this person coming from? So I think self-reflection is a really good place to start. Um, and just looking at like perhaps the beam in your own eye or just like some of your own longings, um, just to, to understand where that person is coming from in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the reality of, um, like graduality, like I mentioned earlier, and and just to have patience, you know, maybe it can help to even look at some areas of struggle in your own life and recollect on the patience others have shown you, the patience God has showed you, maybe the struggle with patience you had for yourself, um, <laughs> and and to recognize that well, that's the that's that's the mode, right? That, that, that's that's the mode. Regardless, I think a lot of times. I do think more recently in areas of catechesis or evangelization, we're hearing a little bit more a message of, you know, everybody's got something. There's This isn't a, a scale of better to worse. Everybody struggles with something, you know, wrestling with your sexuality or your biological sex. Like that's welcome to being human, right? Somebody had like, yeah. you've got a struggle. We all have struggle, right? I think we're starting to see some of that language, but I think we also make sure to put our money where our mouth is, right? If we're interacting with somebody um, who's in that place, and to recognize like, okay, like how does God respond to me in my areas of, um, of woundedness or of just of, of temptation or of longing? Um, what's been helpful for me when I've been in a tough place, mm-hmm. right? And to recognize like those same principles can apply to your friendship or to this person. Like, I think most people actually have more tools than they realize yeah. because I think a lot of us have learned right over the years, how to be sensitive or how to be respectful in other areas of particularity. And the reality is a lot of those basic principles of how to have active listening skills. <laughs> like it's like, that all applies to this. Like this isn't some weird alien issue. Like this is a human issue. So applying basic human care and respect um, it works here too. Hint, hint. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think that we have so polarized ourselves by, by looking at our differences that I think we've in many ways gotten rusty on how to find ways of commonality. We're always looking for the difference instead of looking for, for instance, when you're, I've got, I've got kids, you've got the little thing, find the three differences and then you pour over that thing because it's really hard because they hide them. Um, it's hard to find the differences, but gosh, we become really good at it and we can find those five differences and highlight them when most of the picture is the same. And I think the same is true in, in our relationships. Uh, most of the, the, most of the connection is the same. If you like Green Bay uh, Packers, you know, God bless you. I'm not going to hold that against you. Uh, and I realize that these are not necessarily the same issue, although it may be sinful to like the Green Bay Packers. I haven't decided yet. Um, 
but 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 this is this is the truth of it is that we if we start with the person and then we lead the person in into a relationship um then then we can begin to grow together in holiness toward toward that final end and we're not there i think you never know what surprises you'll find along the way right? if you choose to be in dialogue for example russell wilson went to madison in wisconsin you never know yeah. <laughs> where you'll find solidarity. You never know. Look, but look, I there it is. On, on a brief, serious note, we're actually reading The Return of the Prodigal Son by Henry Nowen for mm. our book clubs right now. And one of the things that Henry Nowen kind of anal or like looks at is that the brothers, can, like the older brother compares himself yeah. to the younger brother a lot and like the gifts that he's receiving and all of this. And immediately it's a posture of division yeah. of like, what can I pick at here? Or like, what am I lacking in this? Whereas uh, one of the invitations that I feel like Henry Nowen is speaking to is like, well, you're sons of the same father. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like to go back to that, like, what is that piece of solidarity? Um, and like, yes, the father in the story of the prodigal son shows his love so uniquely to both of them. Um, but just that invitation to see like, well, what is what is the point of solidarity? Um, is that your sons of the same father? Uh, and he's still showing his unconditional love to mm-hmm. each of you. Um, but the invitation is, is unique in that space. Yeah. We've been talking today with Anna Carter and Shannon Ochoa, founders of Eden Invitation. Please go to EdenInvitation.com. Look at the work they're doing. Shannon and Anna, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. If you missed any part of the show today or you want to go back, listen to it again or share it with your friends on social media, all of our episodes, including this one, are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. I encourage you to come over, find the episode, share it, get it out there, because this is such an important topic. Now, there's more to my conversation with Shannon and Anna available to all of those who support the show through Patreon. In fact, this week, I'm actually going to make it available for free to everyone. Uh, This is one of those that's just that important. So if you will go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, after you share the episode, up in the top right-hand corner of the page, you'll see a link that says, Support the Show Patreon. Click that link, and there you'll find this week's extra segment. Listen to it and share that one, too, while you're at it. That's the sound of our Verbum library launching up, and uh, you can get your own Verbum library by going to Verbum.com. That means it's time for our reading from Scripture and from church history. Our reading from Scripture today comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. Brothers and sisters, you were at that time without Christ, alienated from the community of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of the promise. Without hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have become near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. He made both one and broke down the dividing wall of enmity through his flesh, abolishing the law with its commandments and legal claims, that he might create in himself one new person in place of the two thus establishing peace, and might reconcile both with God in one body through the cross, putting that enmity to death by it. He came and preached peace to you who were far off 
and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and sojourners, but you are fellow citizens with the Holy Ones and members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the capstone. Through him, the whole structure is held together and grows into a temple sacred in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the Holy Spirit. That reading comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. And there's a couple of things to point out here. One is that we all are on the outside. All of us. We all needed to be reconciled to God. And all of us, both those who were near and those who were far, all of us who had Christ come and preach to us and draw us to himself, all of us are being built together into a dwelling place for God. This is right right in the center of it. This is the most important thing for us to realize is that we cannot be a building, a dwelling place for God without one another. We can't compare ourselves to one another and look at their temptations versus my temptations. Rather, we in love and in charity toward one another, rejoice that we are being saved, that he is making us into his image and likeness. And together, we pursue truth and and justice and mercy, even as we know that he himself is drawing us. Our reading from Church History Today comes from a treatise on John by St. Augustine. No one comes to me unless the Father draws him. Do not think that you were drawn against your will. The will is drawn also by love. We must not be afraid of men who weigh words, but are far from understanding what belongs above all to divine truth. They may find fault with this passage of Scripture and say to us, How can I believe of my own free will if I am drawn to believe? I answer, It is not enough that you are moved by the will, for you are drawn also by desire. What does this mean, to be drawn by desire? Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. The heart has its own desires. It takes delight, for example, in the bread from heaven. The poet could say, everyone is drawn by his own desire, not by necessity, but by desire not by compulsion, but by pleasure. We can say then with greater force that one who finds pleasure in truth, in happiness, in justice, in everlasting life, is drawn to Christ. For Christ is all these things. Are our bodily senses to have their desires, but not the will? If the will does not have its desires, how can Scripture say, The children of men will find their hope under the shadow of your wings. They will drink their fill from the plenty of your house, and you will give them drink from the running stream of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we shall see light. Show me the one who loves. He knows what I mean. 
Show me the one who is full of longing, who is hungry, and one who is a pilgrim and suffering from the thirst in the desert of this world, eager for the fountain in the homeland of eternity. Show me someone like that, and he knows what I mean. But if I speak to someone without feeling, he does not understand what I'm saying. You have only to show a leafy branch to a sheep, and it is drawn to it. If you show nuts to a boy, he is drawn to them. He runs to them because he is drawn, drawn by love, drawn without any physical compulsion, drawn by a chain attached to his heart. Everyone is drawn by his own desire. This is a true saying. And earthly delights and pleasures set before those who love them succeed in drawing them. If this is so, are we to say that Christ, revealed and set before us by the Father, does not draw us? What does the soul desire more than truth? Why, then, does the soul have hungry jaws, a spiritual palate, as it were, sensitive enough to judge the truth, if not in order to eat and drink wisdom, justice, truth, and eternal life? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, that is, here on earth. They shall be satisfied, that is, in heaven. Christ says, I give each what he loves. I give each the object of his hope. He will see what he believed in, though without seeing it. What he now hungers for, he will eat. What he now thirsts for, he will drink to the full. When? At the resurrection of the dead. For I will raise him up on the last day. That reading comes from a treatise on John by St. Augustine. What do you desire? What desire do you stake your identity on? This is, I think, a question for all of us because we become identified by the things that we pursue, by the things that we fix our eyes on, by the things that we consume. Who do we choose to be and how do we choose to define ourselves? The temptation is there to pick anything other than the eternal. The temptation is there to to choose the sharp wit or uh, the sense of humor or our, our um, quickness of, of thought. The temptation is to have our opinions be the thing that we desire, to the prestige or any of these other things that get in the way of us submitting ourselves fully to God and saying, above all, I desire the infinite. I desire the infinite good and the infinite joy that God offers us today, that he shows us in his Son. And the question is, will we desire the goodness of God and the joy of Christ enough to let that be our desire that draws us? That's all the time we have for today's show. Today's show is brought to you by Phil and Tina Parker and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Remember, this week's extra segment is free, so make sure you go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link in the top right-hand corner, and find the extra segment this week. Next week, we're going to be talking with Sister Danielle Victoria from the Daughters of St. Paul. It's going to be a great show. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.